Welcome to the Drive Life Podcast. With us today, we've got Sean, Mark, and Mark. Mark's from Redline Magazine. Um, we'll give you a, a bit more of a formal introduction in, in just a bit. Um, but we're doing video. This is unusual for us, so you have to bear, bear with. But we're in the wonderful surroundings of the motorist again. Um, we're in their Le Mans room this time, and uh, it's fantastic. And Lovely room. It is. Um, they're officially sponsoring the podcast, and there'll be a bit, little bit more about them later on. Um, but for now, we've had quite a busy month since the last recording, and we've got quite a bit coming up. Um, I think this time we want to talk about Northumberland first, which was a, a recent drive that we did with the club, SUK. Yeah, it's uh, yeah. So May to May to September is always the busiest time for wearing our SCUK hat, so to speak, and, and running the car events on the car club side of stuff. So yeah, we did. Uh, we've just come off the back of uh, our second Northumberland tour of the year, which, as I've probably mentioned on previous podcasts, is definitely one of my favourites. It's a uh, quite a special route that was picked out by Mike, our ambassador, who was on the previous podcast talking about his sort of route, route finding history. Um, but yeah, it went very well, uh, other than uh, this year has been quite a tough one for weather challenges all around. Loads, yeah. of, loads of tours have been very testing weather-wise compared to previous years. Uh, so this year in May, it was uh, thick fog for the entire morning's drive, which just was challenging, curb your speed significantly. And um, we were crawling along at, at 20 miles an hour going over Stanhope and a few of those places. Uh, but this time round it was, yeah, it was 50 to 60% of the whole trip was, was rain. Well, it was in Storm Anthony, wasn't it? Yes. So that was, yeah, yeah. I, I had visions of getting a call like Mark's been swept off the Holy Island Causeway. <laughs> Um, you know, there's members underwater, whatever, but yeah. um, I did keep an eye on the weather forecast for you and it, it seemed like it was going to be wet, but not outrageously wet. So, Yeah, I'd say for the most part, it wasn't torrential. It was just conditions that you had to be pretty careful in when it comes to driving in a group. Uh, I think we probably, would you say, we got lucky with the Holy Island element because the weather actually held for us there. Yeah. So we... Dropped on really well with that. Yeah, because um, it's the un just before we'd had a big downpour. It's yeah. almost quattro season. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, the amount of those rear-wheel drive cars that are really, really quick, just suddenly slowing down. Yeah. Lose it to my ears. I could keep <laughs> up for a change. <laughs> I know, I couldn't, I couldn't keep pace on you at the end. It was, uh, yeah, swift, but it went well. It went well. All in all, what did we have? 17 cars total. Yeah, Um good. Started in from Scotch Corner, as usual. Ended in Berwick-on-Tweed. Berwick-on-Tweed, isn't it? Yes. Berwick-on-Tweed. Um, nice, great, great hotel there. We, we thank you to them for hosting us again because it's our fourth visit there, and they're they're a great, a great venue. Uh, then over to Hurley Island, and then everybody sort of well, the majority came with us right to the end point, which was Bose Museum near Barnard Castle. Yeah. Um, but yeah, a re really good two days. And well, firstly, thank you to the members who attended, but also thank you to the members who stuck the in stuck. Uh, for the entire trip did the whole drive with us because I, I realised that when you're going away doing a driving tour having bad weather isn't really the ideal no. scenario so um, 
I, you know, we definitely understand if people cut their trip short because it kind of isn't what it's about really when there's yeah. when there's bad weather. Great atmosphere but, though. I yeah, mean, absolutely. Yeah. Quite a few new faces, which is always you know good to see as well. But generally, the feedback saying like, I, I I saw and witnessed it was really positive. People generally were surprised about how um, you know how much they enjoyed it. And obviously, quite some people turned up on their own, never been to a on a car car trip at all themselves. Yeah. You know, when they kind of meeting a complete yeah. bunch of strangers going for a drive. And they really enjoyed it, and quite a few of them, you know, learned a little bit more about the cars as well in the process, which is just always good. What was the mix of cars like this time round? Was there? It was a good, a good again, typically as, as we've seen in, in a club where we're a mixture of sports and supercars. So we had a, a really good mixture across the board, right from sort of um, top end Ferraris to um, you know to M series Beamers, you know, and, and everything else in between. You know, yeah. really good mixture, really good. Yeah, I mean on the. The early the one we did earlier in the year, there was a BAC Mono joined us. Okay. You know, that is, I think the most extreme car that we've had on on one of our our drive outs. And uh, the Northumberland roads were particularly unkind to us. We mentioned the fog, but there was also, they were also quite broken up, and there was loads of gravel and just things around. It sounds like all that's been washed away now. But um, mm. yeah, it's always good to be amongst a mix of cars, not just you know, it's not a one mark club. It's not all supercars. It's yeah. not. You know, it's a, it's a good it's a good mix. So it's a, it's that that's sort of representative on the on the drive, which is good. I think um, it was quite handy because we run this one in two groups. Um, so I was I was leading up the second group, um, and Mark was pretty much on it on that second day. I was giving this phone call. This is all I know is that about. A couple of miles before you get to the A1, there's some giant potholes that you can lose cars <laughs> in there. So for literally for 10 minutes, I'm warning people about these potholes. I said, they're coming up soon. They're coming up soon. <laughs> yeah, well, it was, it was that. better than the alternative because yeah. we were suddenly swerving all over the place and the car behind me went straight through the big one and he was like, oh, I hope that was that. So that didn't sound good. Worst sound in the world. Yeah. Because it does make a sound and you just, yes, yeah. expensive. Yeah. yeah. I think not a pothole as such, but I think... I, there was so much of the road was missing that basically the whole bottom of the car touched the road on um <laughs> the I could, road was missing. I could you, basically a pothole the full width of the road we, we took we took a slightly wrong turn at one part just a, i think three or four cars missed um we, we should have gone left and we went right and the road basically was like it had been bombed <laughs> it was awful <laughs> um and and yeah that was uh, you know you could feel all the on the car aero being worn away <laughs> Um, and I, I know that on the at least on the May trip, there was a 4:30 with us, and he put the car into Ferrari afterwards, and they sent him a video of the underneath of the car, which had some quite significant uh, underbody erosion. They didn't, the, didn't have anything good the, to say, did they? I, I can't the video. repeat what was said on the video by the by the mechanic, um, yeah. but it wasn't it wasn't. Um, it wasn't good. It wasn't a standard feature. It wasn't. It's yeah. not supposed to be. Uh, <laughs> basically, every, you know, everything, and that was because of the, the, you know, these enormous potholes. So yeah, it's one of the one advantages when you've got a convoy and you've got the radio, you can radio ahead. But if you're off, if you're off the route and you've got no one to yeah. follow, and the road just ends and it's a crater, then w yeah. what do you do? So yeah. And just to pick a point up, you said about groups. Um, I think. Just one thing to mention to, to members, particularly new members who are thinking of coming on our tours, is that I think a lot of the time people are maybe apprehensive or surprised or concerned about what the pace might be, whether because we're a mixed sports and supercar club, whether their, let's say, M series BMW is capable enough to join a tour with a you know 
Ferrari F8, for example. Uh, and just to sort of reassure members who are looking to join tours like this is that we are, uh, everything is organized around the idea that we are a mixed sports and supercar club with different drivers, different pace expectations and different yeah. driving ability. And so we always run all tours in multiple groups. The groups are predominantly there to allow those who want to just drive at their own pace, you know, uh, uh, take it steady, that they feel included in, in the trip and, and they have a group leader. Yeah. Equally, those who want to push on, there's also a, a group that's more sort of towards that end of things. So um, if you are looking to come on a tour and you are concerned that you're nervous about the pace or sticking together or whatever it might be, don't, you know, don't worry. We do, we've, I think we feel like we do have that in hand and we'll always make sure that everybody makes it to the end point and they feel like they've had a really enjoyable drive yeah. for that day. And that goes for passengers as well. I think mm. some people are nervous about bringing wise partners along, friends even, um, who aren't uh, confident passengers, you know, that for whatever reason, or get car sick and that kind of thing. And I think yeah. sometimes people think that they've come along to a drive and it's been quite a spirited drive. And they think, well, if my wife had been here, we, we wouldn't have been able to, we wouldn't have been able to enjoy it. Um, and then they've come along with their wives and actually they have driven at a slower pace, but actually found they've enjoyed it just the same because they've maybe dropped into a, a slower group yep. Um, yep. And, and actually found that the enjoyment is very, very similar. I think that works really well across all of the, the drives that, that we do. Um, and, and also, you know, if you do have a, a concern either before or during a drive, you know, come, come to us. There's, there's loads of ambassadors on these, these drives. Yep. Um, we're all really uh, open and um, responsive to any sort of needs that people have. So, a dry life branded sick bags coming to a dry life branded sick bags. <laughs> yes. Well, that's a good idea. We'll add it to the range. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah, yeah, that was Northumberland. Yeah, it went well. So, Look forward I, to doing it again next year for sure. Yeah, it, it is absolutely becoming. I've done it twice. I think I did the first ever one yep. from this year. It's, it's one of my favorite drives of, of the calendar. It's really good. The scenery is so mixed. Yeah. You've got a bit of everything, a bit of everything pace-wise as well. It's, apart from, we can't control the weather, but it's it's pretty good. Mm -hmm. Pretty good uh, scenery. And it's just somewhere that particularly, um, I live further away than than the sort of core, the, the members generally. Yeah. Um, and it's good to get somewhere that's outside even where the sort of core membership, it's not sort of home turf for, for anyone that, that goes on on most of these drives as well so it's, it is a bit different and it, everyone's in that same boat rather than oh you know i drove this this last week on my way home from work or whatever it's it's a totally different uh, world almost so, yeah. yeah absolutely and, and as mike alluded to in previous podcasts particularly with that route we do take a few roads that are very sort of off the beaten track not quality wise but they're roads you wouldn't necessarily find yourself on and they are 100 percent hidden gems and and really produce produce an incredible incredible driving a day of driving so yeah um, i i really enjoy that trip a lot yeah so similar northerliness but there's yeah. also southwest coast so that's the other side isn't it and up yes so that's, yeah that's it is yeah so dumfries ones. area um yeah one of my favorites too we did it for the first time last year didn't we um we we wrecked that one we so we knew what was what was to come for the most part and Considering that, so NC500 is obviously the popular one. Everybody knows about that. Um, it's an absolutely fantastic trip anyways, NC500. But 
to take sort of the feel of NC500 but go somewhere that's even less used than the NC500 is great like the 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 quality of the roads and the route for the entire two days. It's a two night trip rather than a one night flight, nothing but two night trip and three days driving. So yeah, three days driving, two nights and um I enjoyed every every bit of it last year. Really I incredible think, I think roads. As well as that the group's generally a larger larger group than we normally run on a single tour because yep. we would be split into three groups. And you're spending um that little bit extra time, that extra night uh, or extra day that you're spending with that group is you really see feel that group coming together really it's a better yes, one. I think yeah. it was a really good sociable um event that one that's what i enjoyed it myself it was last year anyway yeah i'd say that we're probably one of uh, one of the only sports and supercar clubs that i know of that does quite regular like one night events and i really enjoy the one nighters because they give people who live further away uh more of an opportunity to join us on a on a drive because they you know, there's a lot of our events are just morning drives and it doesn't make sense to drive three hours just to then have a two-hour morning drive and drive back home again um but like what you're saying you don't you only get a very limited time to meet the members socialize with them spend some time on on the one-nighters and and the two-night one in swc was just the right length mm -hmm. to get to know everyone a bit better um and again uh, like all of our tours it's fantastic to meet new members everyone's very like-minded and yeah, I'm really looking forward to it again this year. So when is that? That is the 31st of August, the 2nd of September. Um, as of now, we've got one space. Uh, I doubt that will be the case by the time this goes out, but still, nonetheless, we have one space. So keep an eye out. I'll join the reserve list because you never know. Somebody yeah. might drop out. And mm -hmm. um, I really recommend it. If you're looking for a last trip of the year before we all have to inevitably put our cars away or endure months of freezing cold weather, then... Or salt. Or salt, some, yeah. Salt for some people is a concern. Then jump on to SWC. Yeah. Well, we've not had much of a summer, so you may as well carry on, to be honest. Yeah, you're so. completely right. It's yeah. I've got a feeling that it's going to be, is it an Indian summer? Is that the right term for yeah. it? Where you get a really late, a really late summer. Hopefully, anyway, because we've I had so, yeah. miserable July. Yeah. Wettest July on record, isn't it? By the way, awful. So, yeah. Yeah, hopefully, hopefully we get good tough weather. weather that really one. tough weather this year. Yeah, fingers crossed. We love to mourn about the weather. Yeah, yeah, well, it's yeah. part part of being British, isn't it? <laughs> Just yeah. the, the way it is. But I think uh, you've got to be able to make the best of it, whatever the weather. And I think we try and try our best to, to do that, don't we? Certainly have fun in the in the rain, where where applicable. But it is better when it's dry. Let's be honest. I think that when we're running these trips, I think a lot of the time we maybe focus in a little bit too much. I get too concerned that the entire experience is just about the driving. And we cannot, you can often forget, like you were just mentioning, staying you know, two nights with, with the group, is that it's as much about the social element as it is the driving. And so the weather doesn't really have an impact on that. You know, we can still have a great time regardless. But it is nice when it's, when it's sunny, yeah. nonetheless. Yeah, 100%. Yeah. Um, what else have we got coming up? So then we'll have, after that, we'll have the, uh, the main feature event uh, in the calendar will be Cotswolds. Um, mm. tour. So this is a bit of a different tour because we, we pitch it as a venue tour. Mm -hmm. um, anyone who's driven around the Cotswolds tried to do, uh, let's say, a spirited route in the Cotswolds. It's almost impossible to do. It's just so busy and yeah, so much stringing uh, nice roads together in, in a route that makes sense from a pace perspective can be tough. So we th there are a lot of great car-orientated venues 
uh, kind of in the region. Yeah. So we do a, it's going to be a venue, one night venue tour. So we'll start at Caffeine and Machine. We'll then have a short drive um, to the uh, airfield. I forget the airfield's name, but it's the one that's got the Vulcan uh, bomber on site. Well, we will do, assuming there's no incidents with <laughs> <Yeah>. the aircraft. <laughs> no incidents, yeah. The, that's so unlucky, unlucky beyond belief last year. So for anyone who's, who's listening and, and doesn't know, we we had this planned trip planned last year and about two hours before the photo shoot, we had a phone call from the venue to say that they were doing some demo runs with the aircraft on the runway. And it's the Vulcan bomber. Yeah. On the Vulcan bomber, yeah. yeah. Uh, just a couple of hours before we were due to arrive and a uh, breaking issue or something happened and the, the uh, aircraft went off the end of the runway through the hedges and was sticking out into the road. <laughs> and so we got a bit of an SOS phone call saying, do not attend. <laughs> Uh, it's not. It closed the road. Yeah, it closed yeah. the road. Yeah, it made the news. Um, everything. Yeah. It was uh, yeah. an unusual thing to see on the. I mean, yeah. I don't know how long the bomber's been like. You know, been there for for many many years. It's just on the day we decided to visit. Yeah, unbelievable. It was a fast taxi experience. I think they do like uh, uh, for to raise money for charity or something. They sell. You know, you can sit in the cockpit while they blast it up and down the runway because you can't fly. Okay. So. Yeah, it was something like that, and they they just forgot to stop it or oh, some no. sort of unfortunate they got 30% mechanic. extra free. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, they certainly won't forget that experience. Yeah, sure. no, yeah, and the not... bill that came with it, I believe. Yeah, from what I understand, so I'm sure a new engine or something had to be replaced. Yeah, um, they they did quite a lot of damage to yeah. undercarriage and stuff as well. I think it was dragging it out. Not good, mm. not good at all. Mm. Yeah, I remember I was on that that last year and just sit, sitting at Caffeine and Machine, desperately trying to replan around the fact that they'd managed to crash a static yeah. aircraft. Yeah. Um, so yeah. That, that was good fun. But coming back to the point about venues, you know, what the Cotswolds lacks in, you know, kind of ability to do a, a high performance route is made up by the quality, of the, the average quality of all of the venues, because it's definitely the strongest region of the UK that I've been to for kind of car oriented sort of petrol head themed venues because you've got caffeine machine obviously the, the one everybody knows but you've also got the cotswold barn there's the um the, the place we stay these are all kind of really good um classic motorists as well the classic yeah, yeah. yeah. there's yeah. there's there's loads of uh and diddly squat and did, yeah did, obviously, yeah, yeah. So, so that'd be a feature of the afternoon yeah after the photo shoot is that's what we'll be heading yeah, hopefully he's got his car parking since our last yeah. episode there They've managed yeah, to convince the council that it's in their yeah. sort of economic interest to to do that. So you know, whatever it is, it is what it is. Yeah. Um, yeah. So it, it's a shame that the roads don't match the quality of the the venues, but you know, it it is what it is, really. Um, yeah, I'm looking forward to that one as a bit of a different take on our usual hmm. uh, style of tour. It's it's nice to do kind of the venue one. There's a bit more stop starting and hanging around, drinks and all that, but it's, it's just a different type of tour and, and I, I enjoyed last year's a lot, so looking forward to it again this year. Excellent. Uh, and then after that, after that, it will be, things will start to quieten down for the off season. Yeah. We'll still do, obviously, still do static events. We've got plenty still to add to the calendar. Yep. We've also got a Christmas event uh, at the Motorist that's going to get Talk about of, Christmas. We've got still two. Summer. It's we've too got early. two, unfortunately. I actually saw Christmas decks out in a supermarket the other day. I kid you not. I saw them 
okay. and I went into a home sense and it had like nutcrackers on the and I was like this is too early August. can't be dealing with this so I, I um my partner and, and I run a run a business and we we stock uh, homeware type things we make sell the homeware type things and our our retailers are asking us already for you know what lines are available for christmas when we'll be able to stock them we're under immense pressure to sort of get um get stuff in now you know um on on, on display for for their customers there must be a customer demand for it but i don't understand why people are christmas shopping in in august but it's apparently a thing making our next podcast christmas hats christmas yep. hats yep. for the next That's, podcast yeah yep. be a bit late we'll miss the boat it'll be september <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, i don't know ones. yeah drive by christmas hats yeah. there we go yeah um <laughs> that is an idea mate. that you have to follow through with now all right okay yeah. okay yeah. all right consider it done yeah <laughs> wicked <laughs> maybe not for the september podcast but maybe no maybe for the for september the... podcast okay, okay. Yeah, yeah. All right. Fine. <laughs> you're on video now so you've got <laughs> yeah. yeah i suppose we've we've somehow the viewers have seen and heard this there yeah. you go christmas hats in september yeah. i need to shut up <laughs> <laughs> stitched yeah right stitch on. um <laughs> last time i get invited back on here <laughs> Looking for your next car event, car club or automotive venue? Find it with Car Calendar. Discover hundreds of upcoming events, car clubs and car venues on the UK's biggest car events platform. Search by location and radius, favourite your events, buy event tickets with ease and follow your favourite clubs and venues to be the first to hear about their upcoming events. For event organisers, you can list events, clubs and venues free of charge sell tickets directly in the app and track performance of your event all in one place available online and in your app store just search car calendar so let's talk about redline as uh yeah you're never coming back so we're yeah <laughs> <laughs> no plug as much as i can now yeah so so you'll see in the announcement certainly there's stuff already out on on social media and that's uh, we've announced that SUK is partnered with Redline Magazine, so um, it's a quarterly publication, yep. right? Um, it's got one, got got a few here. I'm just going to flick through this idly yeah, in yeah. the uh, in the background. I mean, <laughs> the the idea of um, the idea of partnering with a with a car magazine is is a fantastic one. So I'm going to start with the uh, the SUK team. Like, how did you? Well, what um, what I would say, what a magazine as well. What a magazine, I mean, yeah, thank absolutely, you. yeah. Thank you. Um, so, so why, where's the, where's the, where's this come from? Basically, what's what's the driving force behind? Uh, no pun intended. There, driving force <laughs> behind getting a magazine like Redline on on board. Well, I think if I remember correctly, I think Mark, you gave me yeah. a ring, didn't you? Out of, out of the blue, just to have yeah. a chat about potentially your publication uh, having a supercar club partner. Um, and the content that could come off the back of that. And I think that it has been probably part of our conversation as the club owners for a while yeah. as to it would be great to have some kind of publication that we were involved in or at, at minimum be able to start putting out more forms of varied content, whether that's video, magazine, whatever it might be um that directly involves our members and their cars because i think one thing that i've certainly felt since running this or being involved in this club is the 
it's great to see the story behind people's cars, that people and their cars, and also the story of how they've progressed through their car history and they've gone from, you know, through the models. And it's been personally great to see members who have joined us in, I guess, a, a car that falls into the, let's say, the sports car bracket. And then all of a sudden they've managed to progress their way all the way through up into the supercar bracket. And it's nice to see that journey and the story. Yeah, yeah just like yourself. I, I, it's I, nice to see that story. So um, finding ways to uh, cover that in content is mm -hmm. certainly a great thing from our perspective. And this, I think, just came along just at the right time. So yeah. Yeah, thank you for picking up the phone. It's funny. No, it's a pleasure. It's funny how like sometimes the right thing happens at the right time and it sort yeah, of falls absolutely. into place. Absolutely. I just want to say quickly that, that that idea, the idea of being more connected with the the people who interact with SUK, Drive Life, etc., Car Calendar, um, is the reason this podcast started. It was to, mm -hmm. to have exactly those conversations with, with people about what we do as a car club, but also the stories of how people have got into their cars and why, and certainly you know, putting it in print is yeah. just as, as good a, or maybe sometimes even better um, medium than, than a podcast. So I think yeah. genuinely as well is that there's, a lot of people have very similar stories, but it also inspires other people with a passion to say that, you know, some of these things actually are achievable if you set your mind yeah. to it. Yeah. million percent. I, I think that the motivation behind me contacting you guys was, you know, you've seen the magazine and we've got some really awesome features in there. And um, for the audience members who don't know, we get access to, to press vehicles, the manufacturers send us the cars, we get to review them. We've got motorsport content in there as well. Um, but what I really wanted to do was try and sort of build this sense of community into the magazine as well, because it's not just about cars, it's about people. Yeah. Um, and so it made sense for us to have a supercar club as a partner. Um, and it gives us an opportunity to diversify the content a little mm -hmm. bit so we can get a bit more personal with people's journeys mm -hmm. in terms of, you know, like you say, as an example, you know, they bought a sports car and they progressed to a supercar and this is their motoring journey, so to speak. Yeah. Um, it gives us the opportunity to um, talk about tours and events and, and, and things like that. And it just adds another side of content to the magazine that we don't have at the moment. Um, and yeah, we just wanted to introduce new people, create stories. Um, and I think this idea that you can have your car, whether it be a big feature or you see it because your car's been at an event that we've covered, to go, oh, my car's in a car magazine is a really cool thing. 100% of this, yeah. Love it. And people will have the copy of the magazine and they'll mm. keep it for a very yeah. long time. And they'll go, you keep know, hopefully in 20 years go, keep that it, was the time. Keep it, yeah. it'll be framed, it'll yeah. be on walls. I hope they frame yeah. it, that'd be great. So so how did, um, what's the story of Redline? How did it get started? Um, so uh, there's a long story and a short story. Um, we haven't got all day, so I'll give you the short one. But um, I was doing a little bit, I was between jobs at the time. I kept getting sacked from jobs because I wasn't very good at working for other people. Um, and I was doing um, between jobs a little bit of writing for a local car magazine. And I used the term car magazine loosely because it was a bit of an advertising cash cow with some motoring content in there. They weren't doing road tests or anything like that. And the feedback that I got was that my content was, my written content was really good. So I sort of looked at the business model. I had a bit of money in the bank. I didn't really want to go back and work for somebody else. So as a bit of a punt, I was just like, I'm going to do this and started a car mag, <laughs> as you do randomly. 
and yeah it just sort of went from there we, we started publishing content and um, bit by bit it just grew as we got more readers and you know we worked on our branding and our social presence and things like that eventually um, I was approaching car manufacturers and they were sending us cars for reviews and you know we were getting good support in terms of sponsorship and things like that um, and then yeah just bit by bit it grew and um, now we've got this, you know, nice high quality car magazine, um, that's stocked in WH Smith high street and travel. Um, people can buy it from our website as well. Um, we get to go and do some really crazy things with some really crazy cars. Um, and if you asked a 10 year old me what I'd be doing in my thirties, I probably would have laughed at you, to be honest. Mm -hmm. Um, it's a bit of a, a bit of a dream to be honest. So. Yeah. What, what's the hardest thing about starting this magazine? What's the, the on the journey to you know, you sat there, you thought, I'm going to start start a magazine. What's been the, the most difficult thing that you've had to overcome? Because I can't imagine, I mean, there's probably a hundred problems that you've had along the way, but is there yeah. one that stands out? Um, the whole thing really is, is, a, is a massive challenge. I think there's, there's so many different challenges associated with doing it. It's really difficult to pick out one particular thing. But I think the main thing that stands in my mind at the moment, and I think anybody with a business would be able to appreciate this, is the amount of rejection that you have to go through mm. in order to actually, you know, get to a point where people are receptive to it and you get your product out there and it starts getting a name for itself. You know, whether that's selling advertising space to businesses in the magazine, um, you know, and people turning around saying, no, we don't want to do it, or, you know, um, approaching car manufacturers and then, you know, more so in the early days than now saying, no, we don't want to feature our cars in there. It's just about kind of dealing with the, right, I've been told no, and it doesn't feel very nice, but I've got to crack on with it. Yeah. You know, I think that's always the most difficult bit. Mm, right. Um, and then everything else around that is just creating content, which is what I love doing. The um, um, Which I love doing. So um, um, that, that was a, never a hardship. But um, yeah, certainly the business aspect is always the, the most challenging bit. Right. I, I, I mean, I don't want to sort of uh, get into the realms of comparing this magazine with any other magazine, but I, interesting. That no, all the other ones are rubbish. Uh, all so, the other ones yeah. are rubbish, yeah. Um, <laughs> I'm joking. Uh, There's some great mags out there. I love them. I, I watched about, I think it was about an hour's worth of content that Harry Metcalf put out on the oh, story of Evo yeah. and how they got started. And he, you know, misappropriated some funds from his farming business to yeah, yeah, yeah. basically, you know, and, and, and it was stuck in my mind that, you know, they, they, they spent... A, I don't know, at a week deliberating over what paper to use and things like that. Yeah. You know? and I wonder if it was easier back then than it is now to launch something like this in the face of YouTube. Because uh, is your on-shelf competition worse or better because there's less of it compared to it's, back it's a when tough Evo one. launched, for example? It, it's a tough one. 20 years ago, 20-odd years ago when Evo launched, and I love Evo, by the way. Um, I, I grew up reading Evo. Um, the journalists that were working on Evo at the time, um, you know, they're, they're heroes. Um, and a lot of that has been a, a big inspiration for me and, you know, what I do with Redline. But I never wanted to start a car magazine that's like Evo. You know, I, I didn't want any competitors. And I think the way that I position the magazine is different. But to get back to your question, is it harder? Is it easier? I definitely think it's harder now because 20 years ago, the Internet wasn't as prevalent as it is now. Mm -hmm. Um, and people went, you know, to the shop to buy their reading material. And that was their entertainment, that the TV and the radio, yeah. you know? So, whereas now we've got all these other really great platforms that people can get information from at the click of a button. 
Um, but the thing that I was very conscious of, you know, when I started the business was we can't be um, putting out um, a flimsy consumer product because that will, in this day and age, that won't sell. You know, you, you've got to put out a premium product that's based around entertainment mm -hmm. um, and then people will buy it. Um, and that's the ethos. And bit by bit, you know, over the over the years, we, we've made it more premium, a higher quality. The photography has gotten better. The written content's gotten better. And we've managed to grow into this space where we do offer that product now. Um, so, yeah, I think in the, you know, if you want to sell magazines today, you have to have something that people want to read, not need to yeah. read. I think that's the, the, the main difference behind it. Yeah. We're just flicking through here. And I promise I've done absolutely no preparation for this, um, good or bad. I've just landed on an article here called End of the Road, right? So if you've got, um, is this issue 15? Yeah. Um, the magazine, you can you can read it. But I'm at least 90% sure that I've watched this as a YouTube video. And was it by Steve Stockcliffe? Because the article yeah. was written by Steve Stockcliffe. Was it him that did yeah. the YouTube video of this? And uh, that that's kind of a really interesting thing. It's like, we've there's a magazine here that's selling the same thing at, that there's free content for on, on on youtube and that must be such a hard sell in a you know in in, in this day and age so like how do you can convince people that this is the way to consume this this content i mean um that's a really good question um we don't try and convince anybody um, okay you just let them come we, to we let them you know however they pick up a magazine whether they buy it or um, you know, we've had people see them in um, shops or hotels or, you know, where we've done some distribution in other places before or, or at shows and events. However they pick it up, we want the product to, to do the talking. Um, and that's really, it's, you know, in a digital age, it is more difficult to try and push a print product. And that's really why you've got to have something like this speaking for itself, yeah. especially when you're not 20 years old. You're not a 20 or 30 year old Motrin yeah. publication. You know, we're much newer than that. And it's about branding and it's about um, getting our hands on the exciting cars um, mm -hmm. because that's really what sort of attracts people to it. Um, and also, you know, if we are advertising to people, we want to make sure that, you know, we're we're targeting our, our audience and our demographics. Yeah. Um, but there's no, uh, there isn't really a, a big sell, you know, oh, this yeah. is the, the medium that you have to, yeah. You know, because people will read magazines, they'll watch YouTube, they'll listen to podcasts, they'll they'll consume all types of motoring content yeah. the, um, platforms. The other thing I would say as well is that in in kind of the digital age, sometimes it's actually nice to have something physical and tangible. Definitely. And yeah. I think what the important part when you do that is to ensure that the the look and feel and the quality of it is where it needs to be. And one thing that I think that stands out about this magazine versus the most stuff you see on the shelf is is even the you know the matte finish and mm -hmm. the yeah. the entire feel of of the publication is really high quality. Yeah, I'd agree um, with that. Uh, and I think that definitely makes a difference. Um, you know, with anything, you know, even if something free comes through your door, you you, you keep it or you pay attention to it if the quality is yeah. high. Yeah. And I think it's definitely um, the, the magazine is sat really well in in that kind of area. I, I would agree. I think it's fair to say as well because I think you know people, you know, I, I've subscribed to magazines in the in. in, in you know, previous um, lives and and I think when you know the physical magazine you know still it, it, it feels it feels quality but you you read it and digest information I think more when it's a physical item when it when it's something that's online you kind of just 
scroll through it like yeah. you yeah. scroll through web pages. Yeah, it's disposed, you know, more disposable. Yes, exactly. Yeah. You know, so oh, I and think, I, sorry, on that point, I've received emails from people, and they've got multiple issues of the magazine, and they're stacked up on the coffee tables at home. And I had a really nice email recently from somebody, um, basically saying, you know, the content's great. Um, me and my son, we do re rereads of the magazine and they're on the coffee table. And it, it was really touching to actually hear that somebody, you know, a father, son, you know, are bonding over copies of Redline. That for me was like, well, Absolutely, you know, yeah. Yeah. you know, if I never do another good thing with this magazine, you know, at least I've done that, you know. And so people do pick these things up and they do keep them. Um, and again, it just gets back to making sure that we're releasing quality and, you know, yeah. not a flimsy thing that you would you know happily chuck in the bin once you're done with it so i think for me one of the biggest things about a magazine i find this frustrating uh, across all no matter what the genre is um you, reading is something that you can do at your own pace whereas youtube videos are paced for you by yeah. whoever's narrating them yeah and so you know i can read uh, an article like this in five minutes or i can spend 30 minutes sort of absorbing the detail it's up to me as the reader to do that mm. uh you, d you can't do that with a, a youtube video it's sort of rammed down your throat or through your eyeballs at whatever the rate that the content creators decided to, to do that and the other thing is you can't there's there's very few youtube content creators out there who are producing image quality anything like print media still images yep. so there's yeah, henry catchpole is is probably the number one yeah. for me for just the cinematic vision that he has for the the video content he puts out regardless of which platform he's putting it out on but you know i think um start a flame war in the comments but like auto car is terrible you know there's like there's the two extreme ends of the of the spectrum in terms of quality but when for for first so other, other brands are available other, yeah yeah there's plenty of terrible youtube uh, automotive channels out there for comparison but the quality for a, a still image to make it into a magazine, the, the bar is still stratospherically high. Massively, yeah. Because um, you can't just self-publish stuff to YouTube like of any old any old rope. Whereas this is, you know, the images in here are absolutely stunning. You know, that yeah. they and it's not it's not just the image; it's how it's presented. Yeah. And also, I don't know um, for the photographers out there. If you take a photo and you look at it on a screen, it's one thing, but as soon as you print it out, it takes on an entirely different life. Yeah, it loses a bit of quality as well, you know, with the way that can the ink do. seeps into yeah, the paper. Can you know? do. Yeah. So which is again why you've got to have a really good high quality photographer who knows what it takes to produce imagery for print. Yeah. You know. Um, because there's a lot of guys out there, you know, who, you know, take up photography as a hobby and there's some very good photographers out there um that produce really great digital content. But putting it in print is a, is a different discipline. Absolutely. Um, yeah. so yeah. Yeah. As anyone who's ever shot fashion for anyone would know that the demands on, um, print photography for print, um, absolutely 10 times anything for digital. Yeah. It's just really, it's really hard to get an image to look. There's a whole, there's a whole discipline around, um, that we're not good. This is not a printing podcast, but there's a whole discipline yeah. around the color management. That's just not, you don't have to care about in a, a thing. So the effort that's gone in, to make these look as good as they do is is uh, you know it's obviously there I, i'd encourage anybody um listening to this to go out and pick up a copy of redline magazine um and and then re-listen to this podcast se segment while we're talking about what it's like and you'll see you'll just see what i mean it sort of leaps out of the the pages at you um although having said that yes. for anybody who's a supercar owner member yes. you don't have to run out to the shops and buy 
unless you're on episode 15, issue 15. Um, but from 1st of September, things are changing, right? Yeah, so from 1st of September, there's going to be some adjustments to the SCUK full membership package. Um, that will include a number of things, but the primary thing we are changing is every full member will automatically receive an annual subscription to the Redline magazine direct to their door. That will be um, a quarterly. Yeah, four, uh, magazine, yeah. four magazines a year. Um, like I say, you know, included as part of their membership automatically. For light members, there will also be a 10% uh, discount code available via your My Account area. Um, so you can also pick up a copy of, of um, Redline. Um, and again, you can do all of that with, with, with the discount on top and then, yeah, straight to your door uh, four times a year. Oh. And uh, we, we're delighted to be involved uh, and uh, encourage as many SUK members as possible to get their hands on a copy, whether that's through your full membership or just buying a subscription. Um, not only for the quality of the content that's in there, but also that each edition there's likely going to be some content on SUK members or their cars or something associated with SUK that um, may feel a bit closer to home in that sense. So, yeah, I would definitely recommend getting on board and start reading. Yeah, I think every issue we're going to put some SUK stuff in there. So be brilliant because you guys are doing plenty of stuff. So, um, you know, four magazines a year there's definitely at least four things a year we can we can get involved in and absolutely yeah. um and again this was part of the the appeal you know with you guys why i picked up the phone in particular to you guys because you're doing some really really cool stuff at the moment and it's like well we want to be involved in that as well because you know our existing readers we've always got to think as well you know what content do we put in the magazine for our existing subscriber base yeah and it's very much a case of you know are these guys going to enjoy this of course, they're going to enjoy reading about tours, car events, things like that, you know. So, um, and um, even though I haven't been to one of your events yet, it's very clear that you set things up in a really professional way and, you know, you, you know what you're doing. So, you know, that was another big reason why I thought, right, if I can get these guys involved with what we're doing, it's going to be a, it's going to be a win for our, our existing readers as well. So we'll get you on one of our tours. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, yeah we'd love well. to. Yeah. I'll uh, be tapping up a, a supercar manufacturer yeah, saying, a press car on the yeah, yeah. Cover. I'm going on a tour with these guys. You're going to hook me up. So it's for work. Yeah. Yeah. It's yeah. always work. Yeah. McLaren 750S. There's got to be press cars for that coming out any, any time now because they're done with the Artura press cycle, surely. Yeah. So yeah, Artura's done recently. That's coming up in the next issue of the mag, the, the September edition. Um, little plug there. Um, I spent four days with a, an Artura really getting to know it, um, which is good. Um, but yes, 750S, um, I was with my um, uh, press contact at McLaren. I, I went and saw them at Festival of Speed and I uh, was talking about 750S and I had a little look around the car because I had one there. And uh, yeah, I'll, I'll be getting out in that quite soon and, and seeing what that's like. So okay. looking forward to reading about that in... Uh, officially jealous. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Anybody who's driven 720S is, you know, when that car first, when the 750S... You know, the press release for that first came out, everybody was like, oh, it's just a facelifted 720S. But I've I've also driven 765 LT. And if you look at the spec sheet of 750S, it's actually probably a bit closer to 765 LT than it is 720S. And let me tell you, LT is an absolute animal of a car. So It's got the LT gearing in the 750S, yeah. I think, things like that. So it's going to be properly quick. Yeah, it's going to be savagely quick. Yeah. yeah. What that does to 765 LT values, I'm not sure. 
like will it be so close as to be no different i don't know we'll find out won't we yeah I'm excited i'll to let find you know out. i'll let you know yeah. yeah i'll read about it and then I'll, I'll pop down and twist the arm of my local mclaren dealer and get, <laughs> get out in one um i'm sure that they're, well they're not cheap but they're cheap for what you get i think i mean you can say but um you know 300 grand car is cheap i suppose but uh uh maybe if you're uh jeff Bezos or Mark Zuckerberg. It's just the, the money doesn't matter. We take out um, a wedge of car finance. Yeah, well, that's the way everyone does it these don't days. Don't tell the it? missus. So. Just get a load of, sell one of the children off and just get them. I don't think I've ever told the story. I definitely haven't told this story on the podcast of how... <laughs> just giving tips on how to get car finance. <laughs> Do not tell your spouse. <laughs> well... Love, why's three grand of our, of our money come out of the joint account this month? Well... <laughs> about that what why has it gone to mclaren automotive well, yeah well yeah. baby shares yeah so i've invested in the company <laughs> so i'm gonna here, here we go i've posted about this on piston heads um but i'm gonna i'm gonna talk about it on on this podcast as uh, for the first time um my partner she didn't know that i bought a mclaren until it arrived until she got home from work and um, <laughs> and uh <laughs> and and, uh, and and I said I bought you a candle because the the, <laughs> yeah, candle. the I got a Joe Malone candle free from McLaren as a gift as part of buy, buying the buying the car. Um, I got a bottle of Prosecco from Alfa Romeo and some flowers when I bought. But they gave McLaren gave me a Joe Malone candle, so I said, "Look, I got I bought you this candle," and she was like. That's you know, the Joe Malone candles are quite expensive, and I was like, but it came with a free car. <laughs> <laughs> and um, and she's like, what? So took her into the garage. She just couldn't couldn't believe it. And that was the day that we divorced, com com completed <laughs> on our on our new house. So I bought, bought a McLaren and the house in the same day, effectively. And uh, yeah, she hit the roof, but eventually calmed down. So I do not recommend uh, to anybody um, just just buying a. A supercar without uh, any sort of <laughs> uh, input or conversation or whatever with so you're your still on the house, but significant, but significant car right now. <laughs> yeah, the, the car, the car is gone. Um, that's another podcast exclusive um, thing. Uh, it's make it's making room for another incoming German um, goggle. <laughs> incoming German. Like, I, I don't know. We'll, we'll see what this uh, new manufacturer does as gifts when you get a get, get a car. I don't know. I don't know when that's going to be. Um, the world's sort of a bit upside down at the moment. Um, but we'll, we'll see. Um, it might have more cylinders than the McLaren did. We'll oh, say yeah. that. So yeah. watch this space. Yeah. But uh, I'm immediately sort of thinking under. Lamborghini. I, my... But 10 or 12 cylinders. <laughs> it could be a Ferrari. Who knows? Not me. Um, <laughs> I, flip, I, I open up Auto Trader probably three times a day and decide to buy another car and then and then change my mind. <laughs> so it, it, each time, it, I don't know. I'll land somewhere very soon, hopefully. But... Uh, yeah, yeah. Um, just speaking about the price things, I've just noticed the the cover, the RRP for this magazine is uh, six ninety five. That is to me unbelievably cheap for a magazine. Uh, I, I'm sure that um, com competitor magazines are way more than that, or or maybe car, car magazines at sort of peak magazine got to be ten, twelve quid an episode, and that was monthly. Yeah. So and they weren't as good as this. So. That's crazy cheap to me. I Up think your prices immediately and buy a 750s. <laughs> yeah, well, I have. It's the price. Pricing's a really difficult one because I go with what I feel is right, but also mm -hmm. I take advice from my distributor as well. Um, and the distributor always wants you to put the cover price up, but 
I think for me, I wanted to, th this was my thought process. You can go out and you can buy Top Gear for 550, 60 quid, Evo the same, car magazine the same, you know, and they're your kind of typical newsstand motoring publication. You know, they're the guys with the, the biggest reputations and, you know, that's, I still think that's a really cheap price point for, for a car mag like that, but it's kind of, I think, the standard now. There are other motoring magazines out there which are more expensive, but they're also, there are some that are higher quality as well. You look at Magneto or the Road Rat, you know, you can pay a tenner, upwards of a tenner for a magazine and they're better quality than that. You know, the, the magazine sticker, the paperweights are a little bit thicker as well. Mm. And it's just, that's a place where I'd like to take Redline one day at some mm -hmm. point, because we're still a growing business and we're still always trying to look at ways in which we can up the quality, but we're not quite in that bracket at the moment. And I just wanted the price to be um, um, approachable for people. Um, and I wanted to set it at a place where also at the same time, I didn't have to want to keep putting it up. Like I could have put it up for five fifty six pounds yeah. But the price of everything's going up at the moment. Every commodity that you yeah. buy is more expensive. But the nice thing about us is that, you know, every time we publish again, people can go back into the shop, into WH Smith or wherever they're getting it from our website. And, and Redline still is six ninety five, And I think that's a nice place to, to be. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And I think once we do up the quality again, which we may or may not do a little bit for the next issue, but still, you know, we're not going to be putting the prices up drastically anytime soon. But one day it might be a £10 mag, you know. Right. Yeah. But I just thought that was a sensible price point for the moment. So I'm just going to say, go out. If you're listening to this, if you're not a, an SUK member, just become an SUK member. If you don't have, you know, a sports or, or supercar, then uh, go and buy a Redline magazine and see if you agree with me. I, I, I think this is feels like a lot higher quality product than the price tag would imply that's that's my impression right here and you know i know we're um partnering etc so you might view that as an unbiased thing uh, or a biased thing but I, honestly it's uh, my unbiased opinion of just picking this magazine up for the f uh, first time today and this feels like a lot better quality than yeah. the price would imply so i appreciate go that and, go and pick up a copy and um I'm stealing this, by the way. Um, <laughs> and, uh, I'm gonna gonna read this 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 evening uh, while I'm waiting for. So when the price import. does eventually go up, the SCUK members can blame you for that one. Yeah, yeah, that, yeah. that's yeah. fine. Yeah. That's fine. <laughs> you can afford you, it, you can afford Redline magazine. There we go. I've yeah, that's it. fair point. Yeah. <laughs> so in in terms of the cars that you've tested to date, and I know that it's probably taken a while to nurture your relationship with the different car manufacturers yeah. to give you test cars. What was the the car, the pinch yourself car that you were like, you can't believe that you actually got given the chance to test it and it arrived and the experience was everything that you wanted it to be. Is there any standout cars? There's, those lines? there's a lot of them. I mean, I've been doing this for a few years now and I've driven quite a lot of supercars and yeah. you know, high performance vehicles. And to say the novelty wears is, is not true you do become a bit desensitized to it sometimes. I completely but agree with that. Like every single time I get something special on test and I spend four or five days with it, or in some cases, even a week. You know, I always have that moment where I'm driving along and I go, this is really cool. This is yeah. really, really cool. Even though I've been doing it for a little while now. And I hope that never goes away because you, I think, you know, even though I worked really hard with the business to get it to a point where, you know, we could be trusted with these sorts of cars and we did have the right readers and audience to, sort of make sure that we're, we're getting these cars on test you know I, I never want to lose sight of that 
but the the main one that really sticks out for me was when we took our first supercar on mm-hmm. test. Yeah. And the manufacturer relationships, I sort of built them from the ground up. So, you know, it was always a performance car magazine and there was always something that had a, a performance element to it in the car. But we also started out by taking some sort of more normal everyday cars on test. Mm-hmm. Um, and then one day after some pestering, McLaren agreed to send me a 570S Spider. Um, this was when it was in production at the time. Yeah. Nice. It's a good place to start. <laughs> Very good place to start. And um, and uh, so I had it for a weekend and it was a Friday morning and this thing turned up on the trailer and I was so excited. I was like, wow, I'm getting a supercar on test. And uh, this is going to sound really sappy, but the, the car sort of rolled off the trailer and I'm sort of looking around it. I'm, I'm really like bubbling over with excitement. And I thought, right, I've got to get in it and drive it now. And I drove it. I drove it down to the end of the driveway, and I just stopped. And I was, I was quite emotionally overcome by the experience mm-hmm, mm-hmm. because for me, it was just like it was a, um, a new, a new height for the business. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I sort of sat there for a minute and just, I was like, shit, mm-hmm. you know, this is this is really special. And then I got in it and I drove it down the road and it completely tore my head off because I'd never driven a car that quickly before. And it was just the best weekend ever, you know. Yeah. Um, and we went out and we went on shoot and I went and I picked my friends up in it. And I just, I think you've done all those things that you do when you go and you've got a supercar for any period of time for the first time in your life. Just put like 2,000 miles on it in a weekend then. Yeah, no, no. <laughs> it was 570, actually it was 570 miles. I'll never forget it. Uh, Nice. Five seventy. Yes. I, I didn't mean to do that. It just kind of happened. Okay. Monday to Friday, and I only sort of drove it around Essex where I live. You know, so I didn't go to the back and beyond with it. But um, yeah, it was um, that was really special. And I think for as long as I live, I, I won't ever forget that time that that bright red McLaren turned up on my driveway on an August afternoon. It was it was really really special. So. So did you? How do you put a car like that into context when it's the first one to be kind of try and give an unbiased view of a car like that? Or did you just not even try? Did you just sort of? Um, oh, it was a few years ago now. Um, I think I just spoke about my experience with the mm. car. Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm, in a, I'm in a position now where I can hop into a car and I've immediately got something in the back of my mind as a reference point, you know? Yeah um so from a journalistic point of view like i've definitely progressed from that point but when it's the when it's the first one i think you just go with the flow to be honest and you try and just write something that um sort of comes from a place of um that comes from the heart really um but also i also wanted to be a motoring journalist as well so i wanted to talk about the way the speed made me feel the way the car drove and Mm -hmm. things like that so I think I managed, I'm going to have to go and reread that review now, but I, I think I managed to sort of distill that into, you know, 1800 words or, or whatever it was at the time. Um, but yeah, I think if I go back and read it now, I'll probably think uh, I've now got like this reference point, this yeah. reference point. Yeah, yeah. I probably wouldn't review it like that again. But Yeah, because I see, you know, I think if you're um, Chris Harris or whatever, you've driven everything on the planet, you, you can immediately say, oh, well, this is, um, as he's prone prone to do, this is terrible because it's a spider. <laughs> There's no spider penalty with the McLaren, is there? So no. you know the, the but you got all the you know you know what the F8 is like. You know what the what it would have been the 488 at the time, wouldn't it? 570 was in production. Um, you know you've driven you've driven everything, so you can sort of say, well, 
compared to this it's like this you know this is better and that's better whereas yep. you know just trying to i imagine it's quite challenging to pull just something out of um thin air and make it not maybe not maybe thin air's uh unfair but you know against something that's not a fair comparison yeah um a, a recent um so what the first the first car meet i went to with when i got got my mclaren there was a guy there in a ttrs and uh, he asked me how much power my car had and i told him it's 620 horsepower and he's like oh i've got more power than that in my he's obviously tuned ttrs it's like you're missing the point yeah completely, completely yeah. missing the point you know to try and draw a comparison with a car that's you know on paper everything just as quick etc etc but it's it's not the same well one's built to be a driver's car and the other one is built to be a sports car well yeah you know so so trying to uh convey that you know so someone who's never driven a, a 570s or whatever hasn't they have, there's no frame of reference obviously yeah. you've dri driven that trying to convey that is quite difficult so i imagine yeah it's a skill to sort of pull that that sort of stuff together so just just to pull myself up on what i said there because that was quite ignorant um a difference between a driver's car and a sports car i know your listeners will pick me up on this there's some great sports cars out there which are Absolutely driver's right. cars i think the the difference between a sports car and a supercar is probably you know where i was going with that yeah, i know what you mean um and mclaren's in particular um i think you know as a journalist i can't do favorites mm. um, um i should always be unbiased and i am but as driver's cars i do think mclaren's are some of the very best cars on the planet yeah. You, can, um, you can be unbiased, but you're still human. Humans have preferences. Yeah, I'd, I'd, and, I'd like to add to that, actually, because, because I, I used to have a, I used to own a 570S for three years. Um, and I previously had two R8s before that, a V8 and a V10. Fantastic car. I love them, yeah. Um, but when I jumped into the McLaren, even though it was just rear-wheel drive, the, I can't put into proper words, really how the driving experience is just totally different to any other car on the market yeah and, and i must have had the car six months before i dare put it on any other setting other than standard and normal you know so my, my question mark is that you know you were at the car for what a weekend yeah it's first time you'd had you know driving a car of that kind of magnitude did you you know did you get into track mode yeah of course i did yeah wow <laughs> <laughs> you got some balls not mucking about <laughs> i mean it helps that it was a dry weekend in august i think if it was yeah. pissing with rain i probably wouldn't have um, probably wouldn't have attempted it yeah, yeah. um but i just I, I don't not that i speed everywhere but I, i've never had this kind of um fear of speed or you know what's going to happen if the car does this um i think that's just i don't know where that comes from um, it just it just exists like I've, I've loved cars ever since I was really little really little there's a picture of me when I'm two years old and my parents bought me a little white Mercedes pedal car and I'd go up and down the street in it like that's you know we're, we're talking that kind of age um, and I always wanted to drive and I always wanted to drive fast cars and you know and so that sense of if I put it into track mode is it going to spit me off the road I, I kind of just didn't care um, I just <laughs> thought well I, I am the same so i had mine in in so i drove mine all the way home in sort of disbelief that i just bought this car really um and uh, with a candle on the passenger seat with a candle in yeah. the passenger seat <laughs> okay. was it the disbelief um, that or was it like what the, 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 the no, one no, no, no. say so, when i get home so, <laughs> yeah so yeah yeah i mean yeah. Yeah. You, you, buying a car it's an exciting thing you know and you get you get in you sort of you don't have uh, all the data you know you don't know how you're going to feel about it and all the rest yeah. of it so there's that kind of 
new relationship sort of bonding period whatever you're trying to figure out where you are with this car and all the rest of it and we'd uh I, I, so i just left it in auto and drove yeah. it all, all the way home and and the first time i ever drove it properly it was straight in track there's no, no mucking around just boom straight to like what what can this thing do where where's the edges mm. what's the you know not not turning traction control off not going stupid but just putting just finding where you know what it feels like what's what's it like to in all the different modes you know just you just got to get that get out there and and do it and probably just as you um uh, you know have that sort of i don't know trepidation or whatever around it and probably don't understand or view it as having balls to to do it i don't understand the other way around and to, to your point it's just like yeah let's just go for it and and find out you know you just gotta put yourself out there sometimes and so when your tour arrives yeah <laughs> yeah Boom. out the dealership Great. track mode track track i'll come with Name you to pick up. it up not not even track you need it in qualifying yeah. mode <laughs> for maximum battery deployment <laughs> our tour is really dope self like that's a really easy car to drive yeah and to like it's stupidly fast mm -hmm. like in a straight line um but to like extract the performance from it's 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 probably easier than it should be. And this goes back to, you know, another one of the reasons why McLarens are great. I don't know how they do it. I don't know if it's some kind of witchcraft that they've got going on in Woking, but how they get that much power purely through the rear wheels with that much traction is unbelievable. Yeah. You know, because in all but wet conditions, even a 720S, you know, in the dry, it just offers up so much mechanical grip. Very rarely, and I've driven a lot of 720, it's probably, other than R8s, I've spent a lot of time in R8s, but other than that, probably I've spent more time in 720s than mm -hmm. I have any other supercar. And in all but, in, in dry conditions, very few times has one of them actually caught me off guard. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Like there's just so much trust that you have in that car. So yeah, and the Artura even more so, you know, it just, you can, you know, bully that thing a little bit and it, it won't it won't go spitting you off the road. It's It's quite, quite nice i haven't got one in order by the way okay so, but by the sound of it i will have it's not i have bought the registration already <laughs> i have the reg just waiting for yeah yeah wait for the moment wait for the moment it doesn't do it. it doesn't sound to me like it's a challenging challenging enough car for your next car so oh, thank you Jeez. we'll go 750 750 yes p1 gtr there we go heard <laughs> it here first <laughs> in, incoming uh euro millions win for sean yeah <laughs> <laughs> p1 gtr immediately yeah. on order yeah, yeah, yeah. Go on to Lanzante and get a, get one crafted for you. Get it done. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, I think we'll call this episode good here. Yeah. Um, just want to end by saying thanks for listening. Um, thank you to the motorist. Exactly. Something you want to add? Closing tradition of the question. Sorry, oh, if I'm oh. jumping ahead. Yeah, yeah, you, yeah. You, you've you've reminded me. I had forgotten. Yeah. Um, yeah. So uh, we close out. All of these segments uh, we do with with guests on the, the podcast, with them asking a question to the audience for yeah. them to argue about it in the comments. So, well, I've got a um, a question that hopefully will get them bickering between themselves because Excellent. it's had me and a couple of my colleagues bickering amongst us before, um, and it sort of came to me when I was driving um, up here earlier on in that long four hour journey that you've made me do all the way from <laughs> Essex. We apologise, but we appreciate oh. the dedication. It's no, a five hour drive, but we've done it in four hours. So yeah, perfect. Yeah. But um, no, it's been good. Thanks for having me. And it, it's been great fun being on the podcast. So I appreciate good. it, lads. It's, um, it's good. But um, we, we've all seen it on the motorway. You've got people that sit in the outside lane and then people that sit in the inside lane. Um, and as we all know, they're not really fast or slow lanes. It's just lanes one, two, and three 
the middles for overtaking in you over you use the middle lane to overtake the people on the inside lane you use the outside lane to overtake the people in the middle lane but you should always be in lane one right yeah yep what's worse people that sit in the outside lane or people that sit constantly on the inside lane but they undertake oh, that's a good question quite quite a difficult one until recently that was sort of easy from a rules perspective but they've changed the rules so now they're both not right so yeah they're probably equally bad but we'll let the uh, let our listeners argue about that are in the comments part, section. are you gonna have an opinion on that i'm gonna wait i'm gonna wait and see really? which way this goes yeah yeah one thing i would say is that <laughs> when i went to america a few years ago and certainly in california they have the rule to stay in your lane and so you're allowed to i believe you're allowed to undertake and overtake but there's no lane discipline whatsoever no, in America. No, there's not. that's there's the not. idea it's just i just thought there wasn't discipline in america yeah. full stop yeah <laughs> but yeah. what i was surprised yeah. by was i was uh treating the lanes like i would in the uk so i would switch lanes to what i perceived to be the fast lane to overtake and pull back in afterwards i did that for maximum of 10 minutes before i got pulled over by the police for doing that hmm. saying that the rule was to stay in your lane uh, and they were unhappy about like my well, okay. he referred to it as swerving between lanes and i just referred to it as normal uk driving overtaking yeah. overtake yeah. yeah so um i certainly think that the lane changing etiquette that we've got here is is better than the alternative 100%. um i never but, knew that about the states when i no neither did i i, well, I believe i think it might be is it no it might vary between states but i believe that is the case and i didn't know until i got told off You're, for I, I don't know if, there's, if you can be if it's an offense to change lane otherwise everyone would just get onto the highways and then never be able to move a, move across but there's absolutely no lane discipline that is that is for sure i've done about ten thousand miles in the us between mm. a corvette and uh some other some other muscle cars and i think maybe ha having a muscle car like if you're in a i think it did, did uh, about five six thousand miles in a challenger rt oh. and uh you people just get out of the way you know they see they see a, a, a something they perceive as a muscle car be it um mm. as long as it's not a mustang because th they're everywhere if yep. it's something that's kind of very obviously different to, to everything else they just get sort of get out of the way and it's not a diggy or mustang, no, no, the right. they are like right. mondeos over in america oh, I agree. so <laughs> i agree you know, yeah i agree so this, um, is, this is what fuels the way why people want bigger louder cars in, in the states it's basically you just occupy more road space and therefore people give it to you yeah, yeah, I think 70% of the cars I saw were pickup trucks. My stomach was over there, you know, double axle yeah, F-150s or whatever. That's the, you know, the massive, the, but they are all huge. So even something that's still quite big in UK terms, like a Challenger feels like a small car over that's there. Crazy. So Mark, do you have a view on this, by the way? You, you pose a question, but do you, are you going to? Yeah, I do. Yeah. So um, admittedly, I've gotten better as I've, I've gotten a little bit older, but I, I used to always live for the fast lane, no matter what I was driving. Mm -hmm. um, but um, my, my lane discipline has improved with age. Um, I'm 31, so take from that what you will. But the, 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 if he listens to this, and I hope he does because he's on the team, but there is a member of staff who works on the Mac, and he's one of those people that will sit in the inside lane and then moan that people in the middle lane are in the wrong lane, but undertake them anyway from the inside lane. So, Yeah, he tries to take the moral high ground on it. And this is where we bicker about it, because I'm just mm -hmm. like, 
even if they are in the wrong lane, you're still supposed to pull in behind them and overtake them, not undertake them. So you're just as bad as they are. I think there's a speed. Yeah, if you're in traffic, you're allowed to. Yeah, yeah. You know, you're keeping up with the flow of traffic. You don't yeah. need to. But if everybody's doing uh, 70 mile an hour, oh, yeah. 65, 70 yeah. mile an hour. So yeah. that's why I'm like, I think people like that are worse than the ones that just sit in the outside lane. Because the people in the outside lane know they want to go faster than everybody else. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Although my bugbear with that is that people who sit in the outside lane, but then don't, no matter how fast you're going, they don't get out of the way of the person behind them who wants to go quicker than them. Yeah. Like, I don't care if you're doing 100 mile an hour already. If somebody behind you wants to do 105, 110, you've got to move out of the way. So if you've got a scenario where you've got someone hogging the middle lane, yeah, someone hogging the outside lane, and you're and, and clearly both of them are maybe going considerably slower than they should be going, and you're on the let's say slow lane. Um, what would you do? Would you just wait in there and wait wait for them to kind of? Yeah, I'd, I'd sit behind them and flash my lights at them until I got out of the way. Oh, you're a flasher. No, no, I'm joking. <laughs> well, it depends to who. Um, so I'll, I'll, tell, I'll tell you. So we've mentioned driver training a few times. I've been out. I wouldn't on, do that, by the way. On, I'm just joking. Um, I wouldn't flash people yeah. out of the way. Yeah, it's all print. I've been out on uh, out with a police class one driving instructor, and I've been in that exact situation. Yeah. And their advice was basically lane one and pass. So, yeah. oh really? Someone blocking lane two, someone blocking lane three. They were they were parallel, and they were doing below, well below the, the yeah. speed limit. And yeah, the advice we 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 sat behind them for uh, two three minutes, so it wasn't like an instant thing. So we weren't. We weren't approaching that slow-moving traffic, mm. making driving plans to pass in lane one. Yeah, we we expected them to move out of the way. Yeah, we we maintained uh, 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 the minimum sensible following distance for a period. It was it was a good two three minutes, and it was clear that they they were paying no attention to the road around them. They they didn't know we were there. They had no intention of moving over. They weren't going fast in the car in lane two. There was nothing coming up ahead of them or anything like that that would have changed the situation, and so it was get over into lane one and, and pass, and that was the. Do you know something? I think I think I can get that because because I take an opinion really of that. If if there's people that are on the road that are clearly not observing the rules of the road, yeah. and also showing signs of that they're actually unaware of other people around them, yeah. Then from a health, from a safety point of view, yeah. I'd rather those people be behind me than in front of me. Yeah, yeah, a million yeah. percent. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. it's, it's context driven, isn't it? I mean, if you're doing, you know, crazy speed, you know, well beyond the speed limit, and you're approaching someone, and and you, you know, they're not, and you just decide I'm going to move to lane one and, and pass them that way, at, you know, a massive yeah. speed differential. Yeah, then, yeah that's, then that's dangerous. you know th- yeah. that is dangerous. They don't yeah. know you're there, and you, yeah. you're not able to plan, and you don't know what they're going to do, and all the rest of it. So I think. The answer, probably the sensible hat answer, is probably it depends, isn't it? You know, but you could you could definitely take a polar view one way or the other. But I feel like if 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 you were in that scenario and you got two people in the middle and the outside lane doing the exact same speed and they're going too slowly and they're being a bit of a hazard, if you did go for the overtake or the undertake as it is, and the police saw you doing that, would they could they still be within their rights to pull you over yes. and and issue you? So it's like. One minute you've got old Bill saying, well, we recommend to you that you do this. But then on the other hand, if you've got yeah. somebody that wants I mean, to be a twat. It's that a grey area, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. Like, what would yeah. you do? Yeah. I think you just got to, yeah. Would you be pulled over if you've made an obviously sensible driving decision is, is uh, the question. Yeah. yeah. I mean, people get away with all sorts of stupid things and people get punished for things that are perfectly reasonable. Yeah. So, yeah, who knows? Who knows? 
yeah. I think but there's potentially a debate coming on that one. Oh, that's fully... We've see what the comments see, yeah. see what I've ignited in the comments. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So Go ahead and find out. Yeah, please do leave us a comment. We um, feel free to post videos. We'd love to see Yeah, that. yeah. Um, <laughs> Anybody with dash cam footage of people doing <laughs> stupid stuff. Yeah, yeah. yeah as long as none of our registrations <laughs> are in it. Red line <laughs> magazine feature of... Uh, Supercars undertaking people, yeah. whatever. I don't, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Um, so yeah, thanks very much for, for, for coming along. Uh, thanks for having me. Um, yeah. to the people listening, thanks for listening. If you're listening to this as an audio podcast, please give us uh, a share, social media, share whatever it is that your um platform you're listening to this on. If you're watching us on, on YouTube, please give us a subscribe and uh and a, and a like because that's what you say if you're on YouTube, right? That's the that's the absolute rules to get in a youtube Absolutely. video published is you have to ask for a like and a subscribe but in all seriousness um it just helps us to do more more things more of the time um and get get guests and and, and things on that you want to get on the podcast if oh, you click on the link below that's the other one you're supposed to find oh, yeah, click on yeah. we haven't got anything in the link below we'll put some stuff in the link below for you to click or something up there <laughs> or or I don't know. Well, all the uh we need a big red arrow on the youtube uh thumbnail all the rest of it we'll go we'll go full youtube for this one shall we just uh <laughs> Go, go nuts but yeah um thanks for listening and or watching and we'll catch you on the next one just Thank quickly on, on the subject of uh youtube can i just plug the redline yeah. channel quickly so we do actually have a youtube channel um uh it's just at redline magazine and if you want to follow us on instagram there. it's at redline magazine as well so yeah excellent cool thanks. thank you very much yeah. thank you brilliant thank you